beautiful. What is in it for badass business women? Why do they do it at all? Carette Trotman, the founder of Virtual Carette Virtual Services, shares her story of having to make a choice between freedom and fulfillment or perceived job security, aka a salary on the 30th. You are listening to the Africana Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Chulu. Every week, I ask an Africana woman to invite us into her home to give us a snapshot into what happens behind her closed doors. I hope you will join me on this journey of discovery, revelation, and self-awareness. I'm not going to lie. It may become uncomfortable sometimes. However, I encourage you to push past your unease and challenge yourself to think differently. The simple act of expanding yourself to receive the unknown may be transformational for you. Lady, the reviews are coming in about the new Africana Woman website and it's all good news. Barbara Julian said it's user-friendly. Alexia Smith said she loves how everything is right at your fingertips. Gwendolyn Morris said it is aesthetically pleasing to the soul. Woo! Go check it out for yourself at AfricanaWoman.com. I guarantee you will find something that will help you be a better version of yourself today. Today, we conclude the series on badass businesswomen. I don't know about you guys, but I have been the woman that has hated my job, burnt out, and literally quit twice with no safety net. I've been there. When you hate the people you work with, you hate the monotony. Just the thought of having to go to the office makes you hyperventilate. So why do we keep forcing ourselves to do what we clearly do not want to do? What if you could choose your own path? What if you could be happy, healthy, and thriving? I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe today you want to make it an option in your life. My guest today is such a sweetheart. She is super intelligent, has great business acumen, and has an amazing story to share about how she got to a place where she is really thriving. Here is my conversation with Carette. Carette is the founder of Virtual Carette VA Services. Carette's career as an executive assistant started in 2013 within the public sector. She then decided to pursue her dream four years later of setting up a VA service. Carette is proud to be the founder of Virtual Carette VA Services and is passionate about helping entrepreneurs build a business empire and create a legacy they are proud of. Entrepreneurship is a journey, not a destination, and so it should be enjoyed. It is to this end that Carette and her team seek to support clients to be a partner in success. In her spare time, Carette supports young entrepreneurs through mentoring, and she also believes in investing in the next generation of entrepreneurs and does so through her work with a number of social enterprises. Listen, guys, I am so excited for today. So 
So, okay, let me first tell you about this lady. <laughs> I don't know, like, how did we even meet? But we met virtually. And I just absolutely fell in love with her. And it's so funny because we're always sending each other messages, encouraging words, but we've actually never had like a conversation. This is our conversation, but I do so love her so much. And I'm so excited. Like when I saw that, you know, I was going to be interviewing her, I was like, really? So, welcome to the Africana Woman podcast. I am so excited that you have made it to the Africana Woman mic. And we're going to have a good time. Thank you. I'm super excited. Thank you, Chulu, for having me. I'm excited about the conversation that we are about to have. And I just wanted to say how much I admire you. You know, I admire you. You know, that goes without saying. Like you said, we're always sending each other words of encouragement. And I just resonate with just with your content, all that you're about, all that you're done for. And yeah, I think that's, I've, I've just initially been drawn to you from the very beginning, from the very onset. You're so real. And so it's a privilege to be having this conversation with you today. Oh, thank you. All right. Now, first of all, I read somewhere that you've got how many siblings? I was like, girl, I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up with two people in the house and it's seven years different. So we're literally like in how many people? Tell the people how many people I think in said the house. <laughs> My gosh, what was your household like? What was your childhood like, girl? You know what? I was I would say that I am somewhat maybe fortunate and unfortunate to have not been raised in the same household as all my children. Sorry, as all my um, siblings. <laughs> my siblings. <laughs> we don't share the same um, parents. Um, um, so, for example, eight of my siblings, we have the same mother. And then um, the rest of my, my siblings um, share the same dad. And I was raised with my dad. Um, that's not actually um, public knowledge, but I was actually raised with my dad. I think I met my mom when I was three years old. And then I met her again when I was eight. And then again, when I was 12. So my dad raised me. Um, so I was raised with my siblings on my dad's side of the family. But it's sort of been great knowing um, my brothers and my sisters that I do know. There are, some of, there are some that I've yet to meet. And that's because they live in other countries. Gosh, that's amazing. First of all, like big up to your dad because he, you know, because usually you hear like, oh, it's the mom that has the children, you know, but then he raised you. That is amazing. So, um, yeah, that's amazing. But how many were you in the house then? So in my dad's home, there's about, I would say, including myself, six that's still like a lot of noise for me. I'm like, and it's majority boys, <laughs> majority boys. So I got, I got, um, I was, just, I was somewhat spoiled um, yeah. because of girl, and my dad was always very protective over me. And I think especially because my mom wasn't around, and so yeah, I'm, I'm really thankful for him. He really did his best. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. So, okay, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit more, because now we know you've got this amazing business. Um, so that's Virtual Carette um, VA Services. But we want to get to know who is Carette, like behind all of that. Okay. 
So um, both my parents are Jamaican. I was um, born in Jamaica. I migrated to the UK when I was 12 years old and um, I've lived in the UK ever since. So almost 20 years now, um, I've lived um, in the UK. I am a Christian. Um, I am married. Um, I haven't yet got um, any um, children. Hoping to be a mummy one day soon. Um, my, I would say that my career um, as an executive assistant really began through volunteer through vo volunteering actually um, because prior to that, um, where all my studies and stuff are concerned, I actually um, did my studies in health and social care because my plan was to become a social worker. And then, um, so a lot of the work that I did was around nannying. Um, so being um, a living nanny or working in nurseries or just different childcare environment. And then I decided that I actually wanted um, a career that I could one day turn into a business. And that's when I decided to um, take the necessary action to realize that. And the first step for me was volunteering, basically getting experience within administration. And so I volunteered for about nine months and then I got my first temporary role at the end of that. And that's sort of where my career began. Um, I've worked primarily within the NHS um, here in the, um, in the UK. So um, the National Health Service, that's where my experience is primarily based. I essentially, I love life. Um, I enjoy what I do. I enjoy running my business. It's difficult, it's hard at times, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the freedom that it provides. Um, it gives me flexibility to be able to spend time with my family. So at the moment, I'm in Jamaica. Um, my mom's my mom is in Jamaica. So is my husband at the moment. And I'm able to um, visit them as often as I choose. And I'm just really thankful and grateful. So, yes. Okay, okay. So I'm going to take you back. <clears throat> so you moved to the UK um, when you were 12 years old. I would, I just, I'm always um, interested about what that transition was like, you know, coming from mm. sunny Jamaica. And then I don't know yeah. where you guys moved, but you know, <laughs> me and the UK, when I think of the UK, I'm just like small, little, very small, you know, old, old looking, ancient. <laughs> The like, how are people living like these? Like where I come from. Hmm? But anyway, go ahead. The transition. I would say that from an emotional kind of um, perspective, the transition was it was difficult because when I moved to the UK, I moved to live with my mom. And it was the first time that I'd ever really lived with my mom properly. So there was a lot of adjustment to be made where that was concerned. Um, adjusting living with my mom, as well as being in a different country. Um, also, just the, the schooling as well. It was very different from what I was used in Jamaica. In Jamaica, you know, schooling, the teachers, they're very disciplined, right? The teachers are like an extension of your family. It's not like in the UK where you can be, you know, you can be feisty. In Jamaica, we would say you're feisty. You know, you don't have no manners. You just speak what comes to your mouth and the teachers, they just take it. In Jamaica, especially when I was younger, the teachers had the right to smack children, right? Um, within proportion. And you know, if if you if you misbehaved in school and you went home, no, your 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 parent come to collect you, and the teacher was to tell your parent that you were naughty. 
in school that day, you better know that on top of the spanking that you got at school, you're going to get another spanking when you get home. And so the discipline was just so different. You know, the discipline was different. Also, there were there was the adjusting to the different the, the difference in culture. You know, being a black girl uh, from the Caribbean coming to the UK, and especially where I lived in the UK. You know, there was uh, predominantly whites there. And um, I guess I didn't always feel comfortable in my own skin, you know, um, not to mention the insecurities that I had within myself as a 12-year-old. You know, I was tall, I was overweight, I had acne skin, a lot of bumps and stuff, wrinkles on my face. Um, and so I just never felt as if I fit in. And to be honest, it's funny um, now that I'm I'm talking about it, but I was bullied for the most part of my early teens um, in school and just feeling like the outcast. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I love it that um, that our cultures are you know so similar, especially you know when it comes to like the education, the discipline, <laughs> and it's just like yeah. It's the same here. It's the same here. <laughs> so um, how did you stay connected to your culture? Because you've been living in the UK for 20 years. and But I know that you have um, a deep connection with Jamaica still, you know. And I just wanted to, I guess, find out from you how you have managed to maintain that connection. Because I think a lot of times there, well, not a lot of times there, you know, there are times when you find people, um, you know, they migrate or um, they lose touch. Yeah, they lose touch touch and it's just like, well, I can't relate to that, you know, or their kids are like, no, I can't relate to where my parents come from and all of that kind of stuff. And it's funny because I made that commitment that 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 would not be my children. Mm -hmm. My children, they're going to be schooled in Jamaica, at least for the most part of their life. They're going to be schooled in Jamaica. But to answer your question, how I remain um, in touch and just connected and rooted still in my culture, I guess... um, for one, my siblings who went, who migrated to the UK before me, so those on my mother's side, who is older than I am, because I'm the youngest for my mother. Um, being around them and being around my mother um, sort of kept me rooted um, in my culture, in that, for example, the way they spoke. So up until this day, um, when it comes to dialect or having an accent, I can speak in a more Black British accent than my mother or than my my siblings can, you know, because they really just remain very rooted in their culture. Even things like the food that we that I remember my mother cooking, traditional Jamaican rice and peas and chicken on a Sunday, um, <laughs> you know, things like ackee and salt fish, you know, all those things. Um, just even in how my mother the expectation that my mother had of me. So when it comes to my responsibility in the home, you know, it wasn't, I I had to, I had to clean the house as you would expect, as I would expect to be able to clean the house and cook and do all these things if I was in Jamaica. You know, my mother made sure that it was the same sort of expectations that, that, um, that she had of me. And so there was that, there was a home life. And then, when I moved, when I started uh, making the transition into education now, 
most of my friends, they were Jamaican. For some reason, don't ask me how I gravitated towards all the Jamaicans or how they gravitated towards me. But at 13 years old, I remember walking into my farm group, the group, the, the farm that I was placed in. And um, it's funny because I remember walking in and seeing these group of girls sitting on the, the windowsill um, looking at me. Um, and I thought to myself, oh, gosh. But those girls ended up being my friends and all of them were Jamaicans, you know, and... Um, Quite a few of them, they're my friends to this day. And they're more hardcore Jamaican than I am. They're very much hardcore Jamaican than I am. And they arrived in the UK younger than I did. And so, so there is that. And as I got older, um, as an adult, I would travel to um, Jamaica um, at least once yearly. I would travel back and forth. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's amazing. I love that. I love that so much. So... <clears throat> Because I know that our parent, the, our, the parenting style is sort of similar. What do you think were your parents' expectations in terms of, okay, Caretta's going to go out there, like we, she's got this amazing education, like what are they expecting you to do with it? <laughs> I think even now my mother is still trying to understand what I'm talking about when I say that I'm running my business. <laughs> I'm running my own business. Do you have a real job? <laughs> She's still trying to figure it out. You know, even now I'm here, I'm visiting and I'll, I'll, I'll be at hers. Then I wake up at like four in the morning because I work on UK time. So and Jamaica is like six hours behind the UK. So I wake up at four in the morning. I'll be dressed like this for work and I'll be sitting there and everybody's fast asleep. And when everyone wakes up, they see me sat down, dressed up, and they're wondering what is going on. And as far as I'm concerned, well, I've got meetings. I've got clients who I have to be, you know, there's all these different things. So, yeah, I guess my mother expected that I would have um, a normal traditional career, you know, because I did, I, I, I did say three years ago, three to four years ago, I did before I started my own business. I was the administration manager um, within the mental health hospital um, where I worked I was the admin manager for, for the psychotherapy unit there you know and so but I think now my mother she's just my family at large my sisters they sort of get it um, they sort of get it um, and so it, it's more accepting even my even my poor husband even him <laughs> just <Struggles>. so now <laughs> Now he gets it. Um, they 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 understand it. But I think sometimes there there is still some conflicts within them to acknowledge and show appreciation for the fact that I I am running a business and that business does rely on me to to show up for it. And that may mean that just because I'm physically present, that doesn't mean that I am present for your for their disposal for them to utilize my time however they want to. Sis, sis, those boundaries, like, <laughs> you know, I know, because when I, you know, I had, I had more time <clears throat> to work on my things, people are like thinking that, oh, she's at home from nine o'clock, you know, like early in the morning, like the whole day, like, they just think they can call on you for anything. Like, no, no. And it's like, no, I'm sorry. I cannot be on the phone for like two hours, like I'm working. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm not, it's funny because I remember there were moments with um, 
like I'll be having conversations with my sister. No, I'll be working and my sister would like call me and um, I'll be like, oh, I have to, I have to go. And she'll be like, why where? do you have to go? <laughs> I'm like, where do you have to go? And I'm like, I have to go. I have to, you know, I've got work to do. Hello. <laughs> you know what? The expect me to stay on the phone with you all day. You're, you're, you should consider yourself fortunate that I even picked up your phone call. Okay. Right. Because there are many times when I see the phone ringing and I just ignore it. But I decided I was going to pick it up on this occasion and give you 10 minutes of my time because you're so precious. Please don't ask me to stay any longer than I can. Yeah, yeah. But listen, you did not um, start off as an entrepreneur. So when, what pushed you into this space? Like, what was that journey like from saying that, you know, because I mean, you have grown up in, you know, a home that expects you to do the traditional type of yes. um, work, like go and work for somebody, get a paycheck from somebody at the end of the month. Um, and, you know, we, you've got, yes. you know, all these titles and all of that. But what, what was your journey like? Mm. Okay. So my journey began when, so I mentioned earlier that I made, I started, I made my career transition by deciding to volunteer because I needed experience, right? And so I volunteered with tool for nine months. Okay, and I just wanted I, to stop you right there. So when you said you volunteered, did you get paid? No. So for no. nine months, I'm just talking to the people out there who hear the word <laughs> volunteer <laughs> and they think they would die. <laughs> so for nine months, Karette did not get paid, but she was nope. being paid in experience. Okay. Yes. I just had to put Girl, listen, I'm an advocate for volunteering. People tell me, okay, I want to change my career. You do? You want to change your career? Volunteer. Okay, because you need that experience. And to be honest, most organizations, at least most established organizations that do have a structured volunteer system in place, um, they provide other um what's it called? I think financial substitution. So yeah. Travel, they will provide for your lunch. Mm -hmm. I mean, what else do you, what else do you need? And I think, again, if you have, for those of you out there who are thinking about that career change, if you currently still have a mainstream job and you're trying to plan your escape, you volunteer around your work. Find um, a company that will provide a relevant experience for the industry that you're seeking to go into and do volunteering around your work. It may, be, it may mean that you have to sacrifice two weekends a month. You know, so be it. We need to make that change. Um, so, yes. So I volunteered um, for a period of time. And then I, within the same hospital, a temporary role came up um, for a year. It was a fixed-term contract to provide maternity cover um, for someone who had gone off to, to, to have their, their child. And I did that for, um, I believe it was, the, the contract was for a year. So I did that for a year. But during that time, because the thing is you have to be very strategic. So during that time, what I did was I made sure that I signed up with um, an agency. Um, so this agency helped you find work within the NHS. So whilst I was in the paid role, because you couldn't sign up with the agency whilst you were volunteering. So whilst I was in the payroll, I made sure that I kept myself very aware and informed of all the different um, 
just resources and, and things that were available um, to me to get me to where I wanted to be. So I signed up with this agency. So I would say maybe about um, three months before my contract was due to come to an end, I let the agency know that I was looking for work. Um, and so what they did was they started sell, um, sending me potential um, vacancies that were available and I could pick and choose which ones I wanted to accept. And so by the time I finished that role, the, the, the fixed term contract role, I was then able to, um, I acquired my my first, I would say placement, but again, this was another paid role, but this was by the agency, but they call them placement. So I acquired my first placement, I would say maybe a month after I had finished the fixed term contract. So I started that placement. And again, I think this placement was maybe for about four or five months. And I was in that placement for that long. And then my next placement after that lasted for almost two years. So I was in that role for almost two years. And that was a paid role. Um, and um, yeah, so I did that for two years and it was within this hospital. So the hospital where I was placed for two years is within that hospital that eventually my role became a permanent role. So the role that I was placed in for two years by the agency, they decided that they now had funding for it and that they were going to advertise it as a permanent role. And then when I applied for the job, I of, of course I got the job. Um, and so... Once I got that, that that role, I was in it maybe for another year or so. And then I decided that I wanted to move on to a higher banding. Um, a higher banding is a senior role um, and you get paid more. So I applied um, for a higher banding. And, um, but prior to applying for um, a, um, a higher banding role, I decided to um, go back to studying. So I started a full-time course at university, um, studying um, business with human resource management. And so I, I now found myself in a position within the space, I would say, of four years. At this stage, I was now undertaking a full-time course whilst working full-time. So I applied for a senior role and I got the senior role. And um, I was in that role, I would say, going on two years. Still, but I, so, so yeah, two years. And at this stage, I decided that I wasn't able to. No, actually, I'm going to backtrack a bit. I wasn't studying full time, I was studying part time. So when I go into the senior, when I started the senior role, I decided that I was going to make the transition to full time study. So I was in the senior role where I had a team of three that I had to uh, manage. Plus, I was also studying not full time because I wanted to speed up the rate at which I would complete my degree. And yeah, fast forward, it just got a little bit, not a little bit, it got very stressful because the thing is when I went in, when I started that role, one of the individuals who I had to line manage had also applied for the job and she had been in the, yeah, she was and not only applied, she was interviewed for the role and she didn't get it. I'm an outsider. She's been working within that service for many years. I knew nothing about the service. Not only that, she was a lot older than me. And so, and so, yeah, and all the individuals that I had to line manage, they were also um, white women. So imagine me, this young black girl, one of them was old enough to be my grandmother. One of them was old enough to be my mother and the other one old enough to be my eldest sister. 
And you can imagine the insult Girl. that they felt. <laughs> I can just imagine like walking in and it's like just cutting the stress, you know, the tension with the oh, my word. And so Trudel, I was left to manage these individuals for two years. And the, 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 the if I'm if I'm honest, the person who was old enough to be my grandmother, I guess I was a lot more patient with her, even though you know, she just wasn't doing her job correctly. I was willing to go through like, the capability procedures with her to assess whether whether the issue is that she's unable to do the job because she lacked the skills, the knowledge, the expertise, or she was choosing not to do the job, irrespective of abilities. And she had been working in the trust for over 30 years, the, 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 the team member who was ordered to be my grandmother. And so one of the issues was with her was that she wasn't doing the job properly. Then the other individual who I said had also applied for the role, she um, who didn't get the role. You can just say that from the beginning, she was out to get me. Let's just put it that way. She was out to get me from the beginning. She did everything possible she could to make my life difficult. And it's funny because despite how difficult she thought to make my life, I, I just, I tried to love her regardless, you know, of, of the problems. I called her my problem child. It's funny, it sounds it sounds <laughs> but when I would go home and I would whine to my friends and they would have to counsel me back to sanity and normality after a long week <laughs> of trauma <laughs> of being in the work in that office with those women. You know, you know, I would love her. There, like there were moments when you know, she would do certain things and she would get caught out and then she would break up, then she would start crying and then she would self-victimize and there were all these different things. And so it got to the point whereby, um, I guess it just got too much. It got too much. And even though I was in this great place, this great position whereby I was in a senior role, so I was paid, being paid the salary that I wanted to, to, to be paid. I was getting the experience that I wanted to get and I was doing um, a degree um, that I wanted to do. So from, um, from a management perspective, the team for the department was very supportive towards me and they were even more supportive because they knew that my job was was not easy because of the individuals that I was managing they knew that because my predecessor went through a very difficult time as well and he was there for a lot longer and he was an older man right and he was there and he experienced so much from them and so management was very supportive but here I was in a place of perceived security where, you know, all the, the, the boxes are ticked that I wanted to be ticked at that age and at that stage in life. But one, I didn't have freedom. I didn't feel, I felt trapped. I felt like, I felt trapped like a bird in a cage. That's the only way I could describe it because for me, it got to the point whereby I would be starting work at eight o'clock in the morning and leaving work at 6, 6 p.m. in the evening when my normal hours was like from eight until four, sometimes even working till later on in the evening. Why? Because um, the individual would call in sick and all these different things. And so I just got to a breaking point where I had to be providing a lot of cover. I had to be doing my role in addition to other individuals' roles within the team. 
And eventually I was signed off sick. I was signed off sick for two weeks um, because the stress just became too much. And whilst I was off sick, um, I basically started suffering from anxiety because it's funny. I say that when I think back at it, I just, it's just very bizarre because the two weeks that I was off, first of all, I couldn't believe that I was off work sick because I'm never off work sick. But then when I realized that I was actually having panic attacks was when it was time for me to go back to work, Chulu. And the, the week that I was due to go back to work, I would wake up in the night crying, bizarrely, just bursting out in tears. A rational person would say, Current, why are you, you know, what's the reason for it? But I couldn't explain it. If you were to ask me, I couldn't explain to you why I'm crying. But then I realized that I was afraid and I dreaded going back to work. I dreaded going back into that environment. So what happened was that I didn't step foot back into the work environment. I just sent my, I just sent my manager my resignation. I sent it back to them. I sent it to them and they basically pleaded with me not to, not to leave. Because to be honest, in all fairness, they did. That was sort of like at that stage, the perfect role. It was the perfect role in the sense that my manager, he was um, a senior psychotherapist. And so he was very, and he was a male. And so he was very relaxed, very kind of chilled. He trusted me to sort of, he gave me autonomy to make decisions around how the clinic were, the clinics were run, how the department functioned administratively. You know, I was able to take longer annual leave. I would, yeah, longer annual leave than perhaps other people would have been able to take. So for example, I could take my, I could condense my leave. So if I had say six weeks within a year, I could just take all those, I could take the six weeks in one go. Usually they don't allow that within a normal work environment because that's too much time off in one go. You can take maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks at the maximum, but that's about it. So I was able to take time off, come to Jamaica. You know, I was able to, they were allowing me to, to study um, full time. They were able to be flexible with my hours. It was the ideal situation. I was being paid the sort of salary that I wanted to be paid. But at what cost? At the cost of my sanity, at the cost of my journey, at the cost of my peace. And so it came to a point where I had to choose. I want joy and freedom or was the sacrifice required in order to maintain that perceived um, security um, worth making? Was that sacrifice worth making? The sacrifice of um, being anxious, the sacrifice of being overworked, the sacrifice of just not being happy and feeling as if the joy is being sucked out of me? No, it wasn't worth it. And so that's my journey. Sis, are you like me? I literally live by my calendar. If it's not on there, it does not exist, nor does it happen. But quick question, are you on your calendar? I don't mean all the activities that you do for and with others. I mean, do you have a day that is all about you? Not babies, not bay, not work, or anything else that keeps you busy. I'm asking you to be your own bay. So one day a month, Africana Woman will host in-person events in Lusaka that give you permission to practice self-love. 
This is not just another networking event. You know, restaurants and cocktails. No, darling. Instead, we're partnering with local businesses to give you unique experiences like paint and sip, a ladies hike, or a body positive dance class. Like, you do not want to miss this. So come on then, join us, sign up today, be your own bay. Find the link in the show notes or go to africanawoman.com. Now back to the conversation. I want to find out from you, what, when you, when you said that you, you would, um, you know, you took sick leave, what were the symptoms that were presenting then before the anxiety set in? So... I felt severely overwhelmed and tired. I felt stressed within myself, meaning that I, I, I felt as if I couldn't function the way I normally would function. And I saw myself sort of going into a deep place of depression because I just, to wake up, and to go to work, knowing that I'm going to be there, I'm going to be at work for longer hours than I'm used to to working, doing more than one job. So remember, in this role, I'm the I'm the manager for the department, the administration manager, right? I need to be providing support to the team on a more strategic, um, from a more strategic point of view. But I was now had to um, play the role of a receptionist. On be answering the phone, be dealing with patients as they come in to book for their sessions. There were other things that I had to be doing because people were off. Listen, your <laughs> ladies were the most. <laughs> so, yeah, that was it. I just, I went to my GP and I, I explained to my GP and I just basically told them that just... It's too much, and I just felt stressed and I felt depressed, and I don't feel like I cope. Mm. And then the GP gave me the GP signed me off sick because the GP you have to be able to produce a sick note to your employer after being off work for seven days, I think. Mm. So when you sent your resignation letter, how was it easy or was it hard? Hello. Hmm. I didn't think twice about it. I didn't think twice about it. One day I just woke up and I thought to myself, I'm not going back. I just said, I'm not going back. I was on the phone. I was actually on the phone with my friend, one of my good friends. And I was talking to her and I was explaining to her how I was feeling. And then I said to her, I was like, do you know what? I'm going to hand in my resignation right now. And she was like, okay, Kurt. Calm down. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> it was like, hold on. You need to think about what you're doing. You know, something. And I said, no. I said, no. I'm going to hand in my resignation. And I handed it in. The thought just came to me instantly because I think maybe for whilst I was going through that two week period of being off, I guess I was, I didn't feel as if I had an, op- an option. And then I had a moment of enlightenment on that phone call. And I just said, I'm not going back. I'm going to focus on finishing my degree full time and focus on growing my business. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to trust the Lord because I mentioned before that I'm a Christian. I said, I'm going to trust the Lord to provide for me 
And that's what I'm going to do, simple. And you, I kid you not, I wrote that resignation the moment I came off the phone and sent the email. <laughs> so you had started your business by that time? I started it, but it, I at that time, I think I only had one client. Mm. And it was just me at the time. Because remember, I was working full-time. I was now studying full-time. Mm. Mm. And so I had one client that I was serving at the time. And this client, to be honest, um, she was, I think she required quite a bit of um, support at the time. And it was just right in terms of the workload that I could take on. Yeah, yeah. And I had so, a lot of learning to do at the time as well. So yeah. it was perfect. So why uh, work as... Why did you choose the business you chose? Because I, well, from a, I would say from a competency perspective, mm -hmm. I wanted to do something that I knew that I was good at, something that I enjoyed. So there was that aspect of it. But also I wanted to do something that I, that I know that I would be able to experience slash be a part of the impact that I would be making to the lives of those who I would be supporting. Because even though I'm used to supporting teams um, and individual in senior management roles, you know, because it's a part of a bigger establishment, your the, 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 the impact that you have sort of, um, it dissolves into the stream of every single other employee that's within the organization. And, um, I guess you can't, sometimes even though you may, I may have been aware within myself of the changes that I've made to like policy and, you know, procedures and systems and stuff within the department where I worked, I didn't felt that that impact sort of the wavelength of, the, of that mm -hmm. um, was felt in the, in, the, in, the, in the wider organization because I was just another number in reality, you know, and so... Um, working for individuals, supporting individuals. Um, most of the people that um, I work with or that my team supports, either they're at this very early startup stage, so we're able to really journey with them, or they're at a growth stage, so they've been running their business maybe at least two to three years upwards, and so they're beginning to see um, you know, an increase in revenue, and they're looking at also expanding their teams and stuff like that. And so we're really able to be a part of that journey and see the different stages and business cycles that our clients go through. And I'm able to really be a partner with those clients in their success because they look to me as an integral part of what they're building. And so that makes me feel special. Um, it makes me feel appreciated. Mm. And it's nice when someone who I'm supporting or who a member of my team is supporting and they've done a great job for them to turn around and say, you know what, correct, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me. I mean, one of my clients, she recently had uh, a great, um, an amazing win. Um, it's a win. I say it's a, it's a win for her, but not just for her, for me as well, because I was able to play a role in that. But um, she had hit her first five-figure month since she's been running her business. Yeah. And just the joy, you know, for her, um, because I guess when we started working together and she shared this with me, which I didn't know, she mm -hmm. said that when 
started working, when I started supporting her, she was only hitting um, 2,000 pounds a month revenue, just 2,000 pounds. And we've been working together less than a year and she's hit her highest month. And we're not even at the end of the month. And so I'm just rejoicing. And so it's, it's that impact, you know, it's about supporting um, legacy builders, you know, and making the entrepreneurial journey an enjoyable one um, for my clients. And yeah. So I just, I, you know, when you're, when you're speaking, what I'm really hearing is um, the passion and the, the love for what you do. Right now, I, I, last last weekend, I was uh, I was part of a conversation, and you know, um, it, it was a conversation that uh, was talking about you know parents' expectations of their children, like within the Zambian mm. culture, and you know, um, uh, somebody commented and said, "Well, um, you know, he's he's a parent," and he said, "Well, if my child came to me and said," Oh, I want to be a hairstylist. I'd be like, no, ma'am. First, you go and get a a degree, and then maybe try your your hairstyling thing. <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, and of course, I had to comment because um, I couldn't let that one lie. <laughs> no, no, no. Myself, I was like, friend. Um, first of all, we need to stop putting hierarchies on different professions. You know, we, you know, this, this, um, the way that it's been for years, like, you know, the usual, the doctor, the lawyer, the architect, the accountant, you know, all of those where we put them on a, a higher yes. pedestal over all yes. these other things. I mean, when you look at the yes. trades, we're always going to need a plumber. We're always going to need yeah. a carpenter. We're always going to need these things, a hairstylist. And yes. they won't get out of business. What you need to be doing is supporting that passion and making sure that, yes, they're actually able to make it flourish instead of saying well because you have decided in your mind that it's something smaller it's it's a job that uh, doesn't bring as much esteem mm. then well you know then you're not going to no. support your child what not as lucrative it's you know not, you know it's not yeah 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 and I said, no, you need to be thinking about it differently but and to be honest I didn't say this then but I was thinking it Mm. I think the problem is that our dreams are too small. We as individuals, our dreams are too small. Instead, we need to level up and tell our children, listen, you want to be a hairstylist? Well, honey, you can go on and have a chain of mm -hmm. salons mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. across Zambia if you want. Girl, there you our go. dreams are too small. That's why there we think go. that just because a child has said, go. I want to be an artist, I want to be a, uh, you know, I want to be a... Um, musician or whatever it is we think oh they're not going to make money no how about you make your dream a bit bigger like anyway sorry that was like it's my funny it's funny because I was, <laughs> I was speaking to no that's all right because I feel you and I'm on the same page as you because I was speaking to one of my young friends I call her my young friend my young friend because she's she's 18 years old mm -hmm. and I was like 
So she was asking me, she was like, Auntie Correct, you know, you say that you run your own business and that you're working. What what do you do? What exactly do you do? So I was showing her. So I had my laptop open and I was saying that these are my clients, these are my team members. This client we do this, but that client we do that. And I was just showing her examples of work and ways in which we support our clients. We're showing her the profile of our clients, their website, their Instagram handles. And I was like, this is, this is an example of something that a member of my team has done for a client. He's got this ebook that he wanted to put out. She's designed the ebook for him and it's all done and he loves it. It's branded, everything is perfect. He was like, oh, so I said to her, I said, so what do you want to do when you grow up? Um, or what do you want to do as a career? She was like, I want to be a makeup artist. I was like, really? She was like, yes. Yeah. So I said, how do you plan on making that happen? I said, that's amazing, by the way. I said, can you do makeup? She was like, yes, I can do makeup. Did you see so-and-so face the other day? I said, yes. She was like, I did. I was like, really? She was like, yes. So I said, okay. So I was like, so what are you doing right now? She said, Okay, I'm in college, basically um, retaking a few of her subjects that she weren't able to achieve in high school. Mm -hmm. She's in her first year in college. So I said to her, once you finish those um, courses, what are you going to do? She said, I want to go to makeup school. So I said, good for you. So I said, do you know that you can actually be your own boss? She was like, can I? I said, yes. You can become a contracted makeup artist. You could even end up working for celebrities. You could even end up having your own makeup salon, your own makeup school. There's so much that you can do. Yes, yes. Put dreams, big dreams, not little ones. Like, we need to stop with these small dreams. I'm like done with them. <laughs> I'm so done with them. Think about it, but that's how we... I don't know about you, but mm -hmm. that's how I, I, you know, I was of that mindset as well, because like, like you said, because of others projecting their beliefs and expectations of us, I would have never thought that I would be where I am now in life. Mm -hmm. No way. Because as I mentioned earlier, when I was sharing a bit about my story, when I just moved to the UK, you know, having a lot of self-esteem um, issues and stuff like that, I felt as if I was a black sheep. And there are times when I still feel that way. Mm -hmm. When I really feel as if I don't fit in, you know, when I really feel as if, oh, you know, why can't I be like this person or that person? You know, it's only just now, you know, that I'm growing and becoming somewhat comfortable in my own skin. And that's not because I had um, an older woman sit beside me and taught me how to become comfortable in my skin. I had to learn it. And by God's grace, Actually, my my faith in my faith in, in Jesus has allowed me to really see myself the way God, that God sees me. And that's where that's for me where self-love has been birthed. Yeah, I, I mean, I really do feel that for our generation, um, you know, we haven't been taught that. And we are just having to break the mold. And, you know, there's a lot of criticism from all corners, people not understanding what you're doing. Like, do you have a real job? Like, what is this you're talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, sure. people just don't understand. But, you know, we just have to keep pushing and pushing past that. And 
But I, I, I truly believe that the younger generation are seeing what we are doing. And I think exactly. that, yeah. Yeah. you know, I think what we do is more impactful in terms of, uh, despite what we say, you know, we can talk as, you know, don't go to the parties, don't be with boys, don't do it, you know, all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. when they watch you and they watch you stepping into your greatness and just doing that's it one regardless of, the of, gifts. of whatever. That's what, one of the greatest yeah. gifts you can bestow upon a younger person. Right. The younger generation. And that's why, like, the, 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 the mission for example, of, of my business is, you know, helping entrepreneurs build a business empire and create a legacy that they're proud of. Most of the individuals that I work with, you know, majority of them, they're, 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 they're Africans, um, Caribbean, um, African background, and they're very much about um, legacy building. They're very much about, yeah. okay, how can, I've made it to where I am. How can I give another black young man or another black young 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 woman the opportunity that I didn't have mm -hmm. so at the moment um, two of my clients um, that I'm supporting they're looking at expansion and recruitment and when which is, when I sit down and I listen to them so yesterday I was speaking to one of them and he I would call him a serial entrepreneur this man has several businesses and they're very successful I only support him with, with two of them but he was talking about the fact that the individuals who were going to take on within the roles that um, we've made available, he's looking specifically one within the black community and two for young people who they may have the desire mm -hmm. or they may, they, they have the desire, but they haven't got anybody who's going to give them the opportunity to acquire the skills and to realize that dream mm -hmm. or they have the skills, but because they don't have the experience, they don't have anybody who's going to give them that, that opportunity. So where does he come in? Where is he going to um, be, you know, create legacy and leave a great legacy behind? He's going to be the one to give that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to be the one to give the opportunity, you know, and it's, that's one. It goes back to what I was saying before about the joy that I have in the individuals that we support. It's about legacy builders. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not just about helping clients make money. No, what are you doing in your local community? How are you trying to 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 help other um, black young men and black young women? Because what's the point of us starting our own businesses? What's the point of us saying that we are entrepreneurs and that we're making this much? and that much money and we want this freedom and that much freedom if we're not thinking about the next generation coming up behind us because that's what legacy is we're thinking about them we're thinking about creating and paving the path for them that you know many has paved for us right yeah so so true so i think as we are winding down i really want to i would love for you to just Tell us or summarize for us what it has meant for you to, to make your own path and to steer away from what people are expecting you to do. But what has that done for you? Shulu, mm. I feel so... I feel so happy. 
that's the only way I can describe it. I feel so happy because I know that I've worked hard to be where I am right now, whereby, you know, yes, I have the freedom and the flexibility that comes with being my own boss, but being in a position where I can pay myself a good salary, do you understand? If I decide that I, do, I, 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 I want to not work one morning, I can wake up and I don't have to answer to anybody. And I still, not only do I not have to answer to anyone, I still don't, I don't have to worry, okay, where's that money going to come from at the end of the month? Because of how I've built my business and because of the time that I've invested in it. Not only that, Chulo, I'm able to do so much more for my loved ones. So much more for them in a way that I couldn't um, have done before. One, because I have the leverage of time and some, you know, financially I can, I can, I can provide help and support. I think about my dad, you know, my dad, who I mentioned earlier, who raised me. So he lives in Jamaica and he went to the doctor the other day and he just wasn't feeling too well. He went to the doctor and his blood pressure was very high. And they said that it's a good, because he said he kept on tumbling over and he didn't understand why so he went to the hospital. And they said that his, um, his blood pressure was basically almost at stroke level. It was very, very high, right? And they kept him in overnight to bring it back to normality. But as a result of that, they've said that they now need him to have a brain scan done. So he... Now, my dad isn't working. My dad is in his 60s. He's not working. He hasn't worked for many years. He, he suffered a minor stroke um, a couple of years ago. And I sort of have to help making sure that his needs are provided for, right? So he, when he told me that he had to go get this, this, the CT scan done, I said, do you have to pay for it, dad? He said, no. The doctor just told him that he should go and he doesn't have to think he has to pay for it. But in the back of my mind, I, I said to myself, there's no way that that scan is going to be free because it's in Jamaica and he has for insurance. So it's not going to be free. Anyway, he went. When he got to the place, he rang me. He was like, correct. They said that the scan is going to be $21,000. And I said, really, dad? He was like, yes. Yeah, so $21,000 Jamaican dollars is maybe just over 100 pounds, UK pounds. And he was like, yes, I have to pay for it. So I said, to, I said, dad, don't worry about it. We'll book an appointment and we'll make sure that you have the CT scan done because You've been faintish. You, even though you're no longer experiencing those symptoms since you've left the hospital and they've given you blood pressure tablets for you to take and you're feeling better, we still want to know if there's anything wrong where your brain is concerned. But truly, I'm in the position where I'm able to make sure that my father get the scan that he needs. And I didn't have to think twice about it. I didn't have to wonder or stress about, okay, where am I going to find that money from for my dad? You know, this is what it means to me to have been able to pave my own path. Why? Because even though it's brought, it's significantly um, provided me with a, a better quality of life, it has paved better opportunities and enabled me to better serve my family. And my family is so important to me. Let me not go on. I'm talking so much. No, I'm not. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So the Africana woman community, we have a little saying that goes, 
know your roots, grow your purpose. And I have a few questions for you. Please do answer whatever pops into your mind. Or, um, and then if you want to expand, feel free. If not, it's fine. <laughs> so are you ready? Yes. Okay, cool. So uh, first question, what are you rooted to? Mm. I would say I haven't spoken about it much. I've alluded to it in certain um, responses that I've given, but my my faith, because I mentioned before that I'm a Christian and the way I live my life is based on my belief in, in the Bible, in Jesus Christ. And... Um, that's my truth. Many people have many truths out there. I only know one. And that's the truth of what the Bible teaches. You know, and that's that's what I am rooted to because I can't live my life based on man-made principles or based on anything else. I can't create my own truth. You know, I am captivated by the authority of the word of God. And that's what um, motivates and anchors my life and the decisions that I make. Love it, love it. Okay, what are your favorite ways to nourish your mind, body, and soul? Mm. Eating nice food. Yeah. <laughs> Eating nice food to nourish my body <laughs> on the inside. But I would say apart from that, I love listening to sermons. I love listening to gospel music. I love um, having, um, praying with my friends. I have a group of women who I pray with on a weekly basis. Yeah. Um, that's how I nourish my mind and my spirit. Um, and I guess I would say in a more leisure sort of, uh, from a more leisure, leisure point of view, I love to um, just go out with friends, eat, um, having a chat, and just sometimes not having a plan, but just going with what the day brings. Mm, all right. And then um, do you have a weakness that has now become your superpower? Mm. I would say that my ability to, to think and plan ahead for the future. I say that... Um, I say that because I guess in the past, when whenever I make a decision, I'm always thinking, even as a young woman, you know, in my late teens, I would always be thinking about the action that I make today. How is it going to affect me in the future? I would always be thinking that way. And as a result, you know, the people around me would be like, current, what is the matter with you? What, you know, why do you have to... <laughs> Why do you have to always have to be coming with these negative thoughts or this alternative way of thinking or all these different things? Can't you just be in the now, you know, and all these different things? But as a result of that, Chulu, I have I have escaped a lot of heartache and problems. Let's just put it that way. From thinking ahead and, um, and planning strategically for the future. So I would say, even though in many some instances that may have stopped me from sort of enjoying the now, 
because I'm thinking about how my actions now is going to affect what I want in the future. And so sometimes I may not be as relaxed as I really should or be able to enjoy the now. It has served me well. It has served me well in terms of what I've been able to create for myself, the life I've been, I've started creating for myself because I haven't finished the life I've started creating for myself and um, just the plans that I have for the future, you know, and even now as an adult, it can be a struggle because it, it gets in the way of my relationship at times with my loved ones because, for example, they may they may say, oh, you know, you spend too much time working at times or, you know, why can't you just relax or you're always talking about, like, say, for example, the way in which I, at the end of every day, I would go to my husband and I would say to him, okay, let's talk about the plan for tomorrow. And, you know, men, hey, okay, can we just relax, please? Do we have to be... <laughs> Do we have to be, you know, every day you're coming, let's talk about the plan for tomorrow. I said, well, I want to know what we're going to, how are we going to spend the day? What's the plan? It could just be, okay, we're going to wake up, we're going to go grocery shopping, we're going to go to the beach for a bit, we're going to have dinner this place, you're going to visit your mom a bit later. I want to know what's going to happen. Because if you know what's happening and I know what's happening, then we're all good. Because... And it allows both of us to, to, or it allows me to feel as if, okay, this is what's happening, right? There isn't, yeah, there isn't that uncertainty necessarily going into the next day. Anyway, I went off a little bit, but yeah. I love it. Okay. And then what do you know for, with certainty? What do I know in cer with certainty that tomorrow isn't promised? Mm -hmm. I know with certainty. And so the way I live my life now, I need to live it for the glory of God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're amazing. <laughs> you're <just> amazing. <laughs> so, okay. Before we get carried away, I'd love for you to tell people how do they find you? People, I know people are out there saying, I want to work with her. So how do they find you? You know, like, how do they work with you? Where are you found? Okay, so I would say that the best place to go right now is on Instagram. Mm. And my handle is at virtual correct. That's the best place. I won't over bombard you guys with information. Go to Instagram and look for virtual correct. That's it. <laughs> All right. And if you and if you need to, you'll find the uh, link in the show notes. All right, people. So, Karet, I have really, really enjoyed this time with you. It has been amazing. Thank you so much for making the time and you know, just being um, open to come and share your story and you know, come and um, share your truth. I think um, I'm always very grateful when um, people can do that. And um, yeah, so thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I'm really, um, it's, it's been a privilege and thank you for all that you do in with Africana women and just, you know, the time that you invest and the energy in realizing your own vision and how as a result of that, you're able to, to bring value to other um, women within our community. You add and you provide transformation truly in ways that you're not aware of. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I think, yeah, I'm definitely not aware of because sometimes I, and I tell you this all the time. <laughs> I'm like, is anybody listening? <laughs> I want to 
what do I say? I think people are listening. <laughs> listening. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yes, guys. it was lovely. Yeah. Okay. Bye for now. Bye. Let's do a quick recap. Carette said, if you're looking to change careers, then go and volunteer. Yes, work for free in that space. One, you are getting experience. Two, you can decide whether it's something you are truly interested in before you cut ties with your current profession. Sometimes we fantasize about careers and then it turns out it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. So follow the proximity principle and go and volunteer. All in all, sis, I hope this badass business women series has shown you that it is possible to forge a career from non-traditional professions. If you feel you are called to do something, even if nobody else understands, all that matters is that you believe in yourself and your vision. Pay no attention to the village. The words freedom and fulfillment came up multiple times from the women I interviewed. They don't even know each other. They live in separate countries. And yet they all had a shared experience of joy an excitement for life and exuded an inner glow. If that's what you're looking for, come on over to Africana Women Visionaries. This is our network for female entrepreneurs, innovators, and founders who are in their early stages of business development. We won't tell you you're crazy. Instead, we'll cheer you on. We offer business trainings and we connect you with an international network of like-minded women of African descent. It's the community you will need to grow your baby. Go to AfricanaWoman.com for more details or click the link in the show notes. Please find Corette on social media at Virtual Corette. Tell her you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast. Thank you, dear listener, for making us part of your day by listening in. I truly appreciate you. If you liked this episode, please do share it with a friend. You can also find me on Instagram at Chulu by Design and say hello. I always respond. Until next week, I want you to remember, know your roots, grow your purpose. This has been a production of Ulendo Creative Media. You can find out more about their services on www.ulendocreative.com.